The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man that keeps a knife by his bed in case someone breaks into his house with an uncut pie. Man, I thought you were going to say an apple that needs peeling. <laughs> What's going on, man? Hey, bud, how are you? I do got a big-ass knife by my bed. Yeah, <laughs> Shout knife. out Mondo for that big-ass knife. You got to have a knife. That's right, a knife and a gun and whatever else I got stacked yeah. up. There. You never know. You never know, but you got to be ready. I, I, I keep a Nickelback CD under my bed in case, yeah, in case somebody breaks into my house with a Nickelback CD. <laughs> I was going to say, you hit play in room and everybody runs out. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, we've got a good episode for everyone today. We, uh, Before we get started, we want to remind everybody to go to the website, check out the store page, get you a t-shirt, order something good. Yeah, get you something. Yeah, order something. Got some good stuff on there, man. Show you some support. And we're going to work on some new stuff and get some different designs out there. Yeah, but we've got a ton on there to get you one. Yep. And remind everybody to go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review. Click that five star. Yeah, five star. Five star. We need some love. Yep. <laughs> and anything else we need to cover for while we're uh, doing housekeeping? Yeah, you know, rate, review, subscribe, and just tell your friends. Tell everybody who likes this kind of mess that uh, if you want a true crime good time, just come on over and hit us up. That's it. We have fun here. Yeah, we have a we have a ball. <laughs> yep. And we still got the thing going on where we're allowing people or inviting people to do the outro. Yes, our, our exit message, and uh, we've got our first one that we're going to do, and we'll be selecting some more down the road. Yep, yep. So just stay tuned for that. And seems like they have pretty good interest in that, so that's cool. Yeah, we've got yep. a lot of people wanting to take part in that, so that'll be good. Yep, groovy. Yep. <laughs> All right, Dale, we are going to get into our episode. All right. And this is one I have looked at for a while, off and on, and has always been curious to me. This is the case of Kyron Horman. He was a student at Skyline Elementary School that went missing, and we're going to cover him today. Okay. Now, just a little bit of background on Kyron. Uh, he was born Kyron Richard Horman, and he was born on September the 9th, 2002, in Portland, Oregon, to parents Kane and Desiree Horman. Kane. Kane, yeah. Yeah, you know, me being a wrestling nerd, I had to look him up right quick because I had to get Kane, the wrestler, out of my head. Yeah, you got <laughs> the big red machine kept popping up every time I hear his name. That's it. But from all accounts, Kane and Desiree were having marriage troubles when they got pregnant. Ooh. Yeah, and but they got pregnant. And they were going to try to work things out, but it just didn't. It just didn't happen for them. No, no. They planned to separate before they learned that they had a baby on the way. And they ended up separating and divorcing, citing irreconcilable differences. Yeah, they made it about eight months into that pregnancy, and then he bailed. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit later, too. But following the birth of Kyron, you know, the parents would split custody of him, and 
with their divorce being finalized the following year, that was in 2003, Kyron would spend the majority of his first two years with his mom, Desiree. Yeah. And she had another child from her first marriage, a previous marriage. But in 2004, Dale, things took a drastic turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Desiree had a lot of health problems, and she began to experience some kidney failure. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep. And it was brought on by an adverse reaction to some medication that she had started to take. That ain't good. No, uh uh-uh. No, medication. Kidney was, failure, all that. No, it ain't good. No. And she decided to seek medical treatment in Canada. I don't know why she went to Canada. That was my question. It might have been cheaper because they were right there in Oregon. It was upper end of Oregon. So right. It might have been cheaper for them. In United States medicine, I don't know. Maybe it had some kidney fixers. Yep. I don't know. But she did go to Canada for her uh, kidney treatment. And she was forced to forfeit custody of her two kids to both their fathers. So why is that? Because she was she had moved up there? I guess. and she Just you know, couldn't take care of them? I guess with her, with with her treatment health, and all that? With her health problems, she, okay. she couldn't take care of them. And that meant that Kyron, who was a, approaching two years old, went to live with his father, Kane, full-time. Right. Now, Kane, he lived in Hillsborough, Oregon, which was right on the outskirts of Portland. And there he worked, um, he had a job as an, an engineer for Intel. Damn, computer chip. Yeah, big-time big, big time job. I'd say he was making a few dollars. And I think he was doing pretty well. And But because of Kane's long hours, he, he had a hard time taking care of Kyron full-time. Right. Plus he had, what, two other kids? There? Yep. Yeah. So both he and Desiree knew that they needed some kind of compromise so to take care of Kyron while he's earning a living. Now, to help out Kane, uh, Desiree reached out to a longtime friend of hers named Terry Moulton, who agreed to move into Kane's home to provide to help full-time care of Kyron. Uh, in exchange, she would have a place to live for, for both her and her son. She had an older son by a previous marriage, okay. and his name was James. I think he was getting on about 10 or 11 years old at the time. Somewhere in there. Yep. But Terry, she was a full-time competitive bodybuilder, and she'd been married twice before. So I guess this full-time bodybuilder ain't paying her no money. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> no. Not, not if she was a teacher, too. Right. Sub-teacher sub yep. or teacher-teacher? I've heard it two different ways. I heard she was a teacher, and I heard she was a sub-teacher. Okay. So either way. Somewhere in there. Either way, she was <laughs> uh, doing a little side work from her bodybuilding Income. They wasn't paying nothing. Yeah. Right. So Okay. <laughs> so in two thousand five, Terry had been arrested for drunk driving in Marion County, which she later pled guilty to. And it was a pretty good stain on her record. There you go. That's why you ain't making no money doing teaching because you yeah. can't be teaching. Yeah. Or you're gonna have you can, but it's gonna find a, a hard time finding a job. Yeah. Right. So then that don't look good. And that was one of the reasons she agreed to move in with Kane. And watch Kyron daily. Right. Yeah, you know, while he was working for Intel. Well, that was one of the reasons I think. I think she might have had a ulterior motive. But their relationship, Terry and Kane's, they wasn't really platonic. They had some stuff going on. Yeah. Behind the scenes. And I think even before. Yeah, I think him and uh, her had a. Uh, they was running around, as we say around here, running around back when. Uh, about during that eighth month of pregnancy. Yeah, sneaking around. Yeah, back in the back in the day before Kyron was born. I think that's why he went ahead and bailed on that because he had some uh, other stuff to do. Yeah, they they carried on an affair years prior to Kane's marriage to Desiree. 
Right. So, yeah. It come out a little bit later, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much the way it was. Now, in April of 2007, Terry and Kane got married. And because Kane was earning a good living in Intel, he paid for the two to have a picturesque ceremony in Hawaii. You know, a good little vacation. Oh, yeah. Lovely. And he was able, even able to purchase a brand new Mustang for Terry as a Mother's Day gift. That was awful nice. Yep, and if things couldn't get any more perfect for them, he spent 2008 preparing for the birth of their first child. It was a baby girl named Kiara. He had to think about some K's, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Kane, Kyron, Kiara. Yeah. And Kiara was born in December of 2008. Right. But now, while their life was doing pretty good, Desiree, this was Kyron's mom, she struggled over the past few years to sort out her own stuff. She, like I said, she was suffering from kidney failure. Yeah, I'm sure she had a ton of medical bills. Oh, yeah. And yeah, thou- tens of thousands of dollars, I assume. Oh, yeah. And over the next few years, she was struggling to get back on her feet. And even moving back into her parents' home in um, Medford, Oregon. Hmm. But she did ultimately meet uh, a guy. Right. And he was a, de- a detective from Medford. And his name was Tony Young. Tony Young. And they did get married, and but she would never regain custody of her two kids. That's kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, she didn't really do nothing to lose them. She just had that medical stuff. Yeah. So, I don't know. But, you know, thankfully. I mean, I guess she still got to see him, though, right? Yeah, she yeah. did get to see him, and thankfully she was able to be a part of Kyle's oh, okay. life. Yeah. And was able to see him pretty regularly. I think she was able to see him every weekend or every other weekend. But they, she lived, it was like four and a half hours away, the distance between uh her ex-husband Kane's house and where she was living. Yeah, okay. So I think what they did, they would uh, meet halfway. They'd drive uh, two hours. Two hours apiece. Yeah, to, so she could get Kyron for the weekend or every other weekend or something like that. Right. And it, I'd read too, Dale, that when Kyron was with his mom, he would cry when he had to leave her to go back to his dad Kane's house. Right. And Kane had even said that, you know, he would cry when he had to leave his house to go to his mom. So, I don't know which was true, but... Unless he's crying on both ends. Yeah. He could be. But, you know, he was a second grader, so, you know, he was still a little immature. Now, heading into 2010, Kyron was a second grader at Skyline Elementary School. And this was in Portland. And is located right next to a large wooded forest park. But Skyline was a... K through eight school, and it was meaning that basically it was an elementary school and a middle school combined. Yeah, pretty much. And they had about three hundred students. Or if you're old like me, a junior high. Yeah, yeah, I went to junior high. <laughs> yeah, junior high around here. Now. Junior you high, keep high your school. middle schools up. That's right. <laughs> but Kyron seemed to be pretty smart. He excelled in classes and and been put into the advanced placement math. Yeah, earlier that year, and he'd even been picking up sign language. And got pretty good at sign language. So, yeah, he's pretty quick wit. Yep. As far as anyone knew, Kyron had a good relationship with his father, Kane, as well as his stepmom, Terry, who was, you know, constantly volunteering to school and done things to, just to help out. She went on field trips and things like that. So she was pretty active She's in his pretty life. pretty much doing it all. Isn't and it had been <clears throat> reported that uh, Kyron even referred to her as mom, called her mom. I'm sure, because all the rest of the kids are, I mean, you know, yeah, be kind of weird. Yeah, it's pretty young, so yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's what happened. Now, by all accounts, Dale, things seemed to be pretty well for the Horman family. Everything was going good. Now, 
going to June the 4th, 2010, this was the second to last Friday of the school year. And it was about like any other day for the Hormons. You know, they get up and go to school and rush out, get out the door. You know how everybody does to, to leave the house. Oh, yeah. And seven-year-old Kyron, who was quickly approaching the end of his second grade year, normally took the bus to school. But now on this day, uh, his stepmom, Terry, was driving him to school so that uh, Kyron could participate in the school science fair. Right. Plus, it takes a project. You know? yep. It's easier than not to climb on a bus and all that crap. Yep. He was taking his, his large trifold project board. Everybody's seen those. You know, you stand up and have all your little... Yeah. Poster board folded three times. Two yeah, times. Three times. Trifold. What's well, two folds? But it's three sections. Correct. Okay. <laughs> now, now we're on the same page. Yeah. But he done his project. It was about a red-eyed tree frogs. Red-eyed tree frogs. He was pretty fascinated with those. Apparently. And he was kind of excited to show off his project to his stepmom that morning. So you reckon he, what, he had part of this already built at school and he's just taking this trifold or she ain't seen none of it? or I don't really know. I don't know. I never really did or say. He just was excited to see her see it set up correctly or could be with everybody else's okay yeah i just wondered if he had had some stuff already set up and he may done stuff at school right we don't know yeah this is true but anyway he was anxious for his stepmom terry to see it okay i just wonder how much stuff he actually had yep now so that morning on june 4th terry was going to be driving Kyron to school in the family truck which was kane's truck he usually drove to work but, and Terry was hoping to bring Kyron's project home that morning, uh, but didn't know the science fair would be going on all day long at school. Right. I've seen that. You know, people go in and out all day. Just looking to yeah, so why would she think, I mean, if you spend all this time, he's going to go in there and set it up for 10 minutes and leave? I guess. It don't make sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. That's one of them flag to me. Yeah, that's a red flag. You know, I want to drive your truck to take him to school today because we might have to bring his project home. Plus, I mean, unless it's a damn table full of shit i mean you can get it all in your car that's right i mean i don't think he's had nothing that big that you needed to truck so that's kind of weird yeah to me because if it's just a fold up trifold you can put it in the back seat trunk whatever that's why i was asking how much stuff did he actually have yeah okay now the two arrived at kyron school around around eight o'clock eight o'clock and they dropped off Kyron's backpack and coat in his classroom. Okay, I got a question here. Right. What grade was he in second? Second grade. Okay, so he probably don't have a homeroom then, because that's what I'm thinking. Because this is where he's going to go and drop off his book and his backpack, so they don't have to carry it around a science fair. So I was thinking, did they go to a homeroom, or did they go to his first slash, you know, period class? I wouldn't think they'd have a homeroom. Right, being second grade. Yeah. But they may, being it's uh, K through 8. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think... He might have changed classes. But Probably once in the middle of the day or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or at the most twice. Okay. I'm just trying to make sense. Yeah. yeah You'll I, see I why get, in a minute. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. And then they headed into the school's gym where Kyron and uh, hundreds of other kids were setting up their projects. And Kyron was excited to show off his project about his frogs to his stepmom and friends and even snapped a picture in front of his project. Uh, yeah. Terry took a picture of his project with him in front of it. Right. And this photo would become pretty synonymous with all this story. Yeah. If you've heard about the story, you've seen the photo. Yep. And Terry and Kyron were seen by multiple eyewitnesses during this time by student staff members who would later recall seeing the two at around 8.15 that morning. And this would come pretty important. So remember that time, Dale. 8.15. I wrote it down. Yep. 
write it down. All right, good. <laughs> and it's also important to remember that Terry had her daughter Kiara with her throughout the entire day, so she was never truly alone. So is she carrying her around at this no, point? I guess so. Because I'm sure she didn't leave her in the truck. No. Well, I mean, she might have. Kiara was with her, and Kiara was suffering from an ear infection or earache or something. Yeah, I bet she was ill as hell. Yeah. Been there and done that. Yep. Now, Terry and Kiara hung around the school until about 8.45, which meant the science fair was concluding for parents and the other outsiders that had wandered in just, you know, to look at the exhibits. Okay. And uh, Kyron's class was just about to start for the students, and Terry started to head out. Now, she would claim that this was the last time she saw Kyron, who was walking down the hallway during this, toward his classroom, where the two had dropped off his backpack and coat a short time later. Right. Now, there was another, uh, somewhere else I've either read or heard, that after all this, they went by the library and dropped off some books that he had. So that was kind of weird to me, too. Now, it, uh, I don't know if, if that happened or didn't, but I've, one version of the story, let's put it that way, mm-hmm. that they <clears throat> went in and walked around the science fair, and then he took the books to the library. Why wouldn't he have either left the books in his book bag or took the books before you go to the library, unless they weren't open? My point is, why would you go take them to carry them around the damn the science fair? Yeah, you'd think you would take them first just right. to get rid of them. I know that's an irrelevant fact, but it bugs me. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of... A lot of weird stuff with this case. Yeah, and I'm just pointing it out. Go ahead. But now, <laughs> but now we'll learn that Kyron never made it to his first class, which was math, as verified from his teacher. Her name was Christina Porter, and she marked him absent that morning. Hmm. But see, that's what gets me. They saw him there. Yeah. Put his book bag down and his coat. The teacher saw him. You would think. Yeah. This part really bugs me because. I had kids in school. You had kids in school. Yeah. They do a lot of checks and balances. Yeah. And this is not that long ago. You know, I, I remember my kids, if they weren't in school, they would be calling. Yeah. If they, you know, they weren't reported, you know, call to school, my kid ain't going to be there today, my kid's sick. You mm-hmm. know, they would call. Yeah. Now, a lot of times if they called us, it would be in the afternoon, maybe. Mm-hmm. So-and-so was not at school today, blah, blah, blah. Just to, But that's when they were older, so I don't know if that was like... We were just checking up to see if they laid out a mm-hmm. call or whatever. But, yeah, we always got a call if they weren't there, if, yeah. if there was not a reason. Yeah. But, see, the book bag and the coat were in the classroom. Why didn't the teachers say, where's Kyron? Yeah. Check up on him right then. Right. Why is this stuff here and he ain't? Yeah. Yeah. That is weird. That, is, that, that just bothers me as weird. That's why I was wondering if he had, like, a homeroom class. Yeah. Because, you know, if, if that was the point, he took it, and then the first class class was math, they wouldn't think nothing about it because all this stuff would still be in his homeroom. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't know. That that was the reason I was asking about that because yeah, that was kind of bugging me, too. Because, mm-hmm. you know, kids go, well, his stuff's here. You know what I mean? Exactly. Kids are going to know. I don't know. Yeah. Here's Kyron's coat. Where's Kyron? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, kids, kids will ask <clears throat> questions, man. They don't yeah. ask stuff. Yeah, because they don't care. But now moving on, uh, for the next hour and a half, uh, Terry Horman, this is Kyron's stepmom, would run errands. Right. First, she headed to a Fred Meyer grocery store. This is like a, they have up in the Pacific Northwest. Like you said, it's kind of like a Target or a Kroger or something. And which she, there's, you know, she was supposed to pick up a prescription for Kiara, who was suffering from ear infection. Right. But they didn't have it. So I think she bought a Starbucks. Yes. Yeah. 
and the receipt that she got from her Starbucks was uh, time-stamped around 9, 12 a.m. Right. And then Terry drove to the Fred Meyer in Beaverton, which was on Southwest Walker Road, which is where the prescription for Kiara had actually been sent. So I think the prescriptions got mixed up. Yeah, it's kind of like Walgreens around here, and there's 100 of them, so one on every corner. where it is. <laughs> one on every corner. Yeah. So that's where she got the medication for the uh, ear infection. Now, after she left the second Fred Meyer, Terry dropped by a dry cleaners, which was called a Magic Dry Cleaners in Beaverton, where she was dropping off some uh, Kane's work clothes. And the owner of the store, the dry cleaners, later recalled that Terry came in by herself, which, you know, to him indicated that she left Kiara in the car. Right. While she dropped off the... Yeah, I think she had, she had just pulled up to the door and run them in there quick. Yeah. She probably did just leave her in the car, especially if she'd just give her some meds and was hoping she would, you know, sleep or something. Yeah. Especially if her ear was bugging her. I'm sure she was a ball of fun. And from there, she would stop into a Michael's Craft Store in Beaverton and leaving there about 10 a.m. And surveillance footage from these locations would later confirm Terry's timeline, uh, giving her known whereabouts roughly until about 10, 10 a.m. But the next hour and a half or so remains a big mystery. Hmm. So it's pretty pretty dark. So after 10, 10 a.m., we're going to lose her. Yep. Is that what you're saying? Yep. And like we've said, you know, Terry had um, Kiara, who was 18 months old, with her throughout this morning, and she was suffering from that earache. And Terry had picked up a prescription that morning, which was supposed to have helped out. But, you know, I don't guess it took effect or anything like that. Well, you know, it don't, it's not immediate. So now, according to Terry, she decided to drive around for a while. You know, kind of like if you got a sick kid or a kid that can't sleep, you just drive them around, let them doze off. Yeah. Yeah. Like the motion of the vehicle. Right. We've, we've all done that before. She would later claim to do this for the next 90 minutes, driving primarily along rural roads around that area. Yeah, that's a little weird. Yeah, 90 minutes. Hmm. So I don't know... Have you ever drove 90 minutes to no. calm your kid down? No. I hadn't either. Yeah, that's a little weird. Yeah. I was with you so far, but now you're just getting here a little bit. It wasn't until 11.39 that Terry arrived at her next location, and it was a 24-hour fitness in Beaverton. And this is where she regularly worked out along with friends and acquaintances that she knew. And she would check in Kiara at the gym's daycare while she worked out for the better part of the next hour. Right. So this is another thing for me. Kira sick, earache, ear infection. Why take her to a, a gym and a daycare? Right. You know. Yeah. If your kid's sick, go home. You know, how important is it to work out? Well, bodybuilding mentality. Yeah. You got to go to the gym. It's. And maybe, I get it, but, you know, you got to have priorities. And maybe Kira was feeling fine. Yeah, maybe she was knocked out. Yeah. You know, after an hour and a half ride. Yeah, and got a little nap. Maybe it was feeling better. And Terry left the gym around 12.40 p.m. and began a roughly 11-mile drive home to the Horman household. And this was uh, along Portland's sheltered Nook Road. And by official estimates, she arrived home just a little bit before 1 p.m. And at 1.21 p.m., Dale, she began uploading photos to Facebook under a folder uh, titled June 2010. Right. And this included photos of Kiera and Kyron. 
And this is also where the photo of Kyron at the science fair that morning was uploaded online. And it showed Kyron wearing a black CSI t-shirt. Yeah, right in front of his uh, project. Yeah. With his red-eyed tree frog. But, you know, something we didn't, we failed to mention when Terry was at the second Fred Meyer, she ran into a friend of hers. Oh, yeah. She don't really talk too much. Right. And she just happened to run into her and show her all these pictures of Kyron at his science fair. Oh, yeah, I think it was like somebody who worked at the gym or something. Yeah. Or ran a gym she went to or used to go to or something. Yeah. And so they were friends but not acquaintances. And she thought it was kind of odd that she would strike up a conversation with her. <clears throat> yes. Because they rarely ever talked at all. Yeah, kind of like they were passing and then she just stopped and intentionally brought up a conversation. Yeah, like establishing that alibi maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Hey, look where I've been. Look what I've been doing. Yeah. Don't look what I'm driving. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, about the same time these photos were uploaded to Facebook from Terry's computer, she sent an email to Kyron's teacher asking when she could come and pick up his science project. That was supposedly the entire reason that she had driven him the to truck. school. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, that right there tells me something's up because if she drove the truck because she thought she was going to get to bring it home and then she got there and they said, well, you can't bring it home. You don't think she would ask then, well, when you can think? I get it? Exactly. Why well, is she going to leave and then we'll later go, oh, let me send this email to cover my ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what it looks like to me, I don't know. I'm oh, just, I get it. I'm I just speculating it. here. Okay. Now, <laughs> also about that time, Kane, this is Kyron's dad, was getting home from work. And was he was just hoping to spend the rest of the afternoon with his family while he worked from his home office. Right. And he took a small break around 3.30 when he walked down to Kyron's bus stop along with Terry and Kiara. They were going to wait and you know, greet him when he got off the bus. And the three waited for a few minutes until Kyron's bus finally came to a stop, and they waited for Kyron to get off the bus, and but he never did. Dude, like, what the hell you mean he ain't on here? Yeah, Kane and Terry spoke to the bus driver, and, and they discovered then that Kyron had never... And then never got on the bus. Never boarded the bus. It's cool. And the driver recommended they phone Skyline Elementary. And while he called the school secretary, they informed Kyron wasn't at school or wasn't on the afternoon bus and wasn't at home with his parents either. Hmm. Now, I wonder, I know sidebar here, but I wonder what hours this guy usually works, Kane. Because that's kind of odd to come home that early in the day, even if he was going to work. Being how he had to have somebody move in and watch his kids because he could never be there. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Never, I've never seen it anywhere what his usual hours were or whatever. If this, this was something usual that he did, come home and work work half a day somewhere and come home and finish up on you know at home or whatever. But Yeah. Anyway, there's another one of them. It really bothers me that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go ahead. But now during this time, Terry was also in the process of dialing 911. And she and Kane began driving to Kyron's school to figure out where he was. But nobody at the school had seen Kyron since that morning after the science fair Hmm. when he had been seen right there with Terry. And despite having dropped off his backpack and jacking in his math class, like we talked about, he had been marked absent throughout the entire day. And at 3.46 p.m., the Skyline Elementary Secretary, her name was Susan Hall, would place a second call to 911 reporting Kyron missing. And this was right around the time that Terry and Kane got to the school hoping to find Kyron waiting for them. Hmm. No luck there. No. And it was now clear that Kyron was missing and 
a desperate search to find him would begin that Friday afternoon. And this was hours, a whole day after he'd been last seen. Right. Now, the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office, they arrived at Skyline Elementary about 4 o'clock. So, 14 minutes. Yep. And they quickly made the realization that they had already lost a day. Yep. Like, damn. To find a missing second grader. Now, the sheriff's spokeswoman, her name was Mary Lindstrad. She told the press, and I quote, We definitely got a late start here. The family didn't know that he was at school. The, the teacher didn't see him. So we are feeling like we are behind the eight ball here. And here's your Einstein Award because you just won it because you just told us everything we already know. Yep. Yeah. That ain't, that's not much information, but it's true. A search began immediately for Kyron's last known location, which was Skyline Elementary which is located right next to, like we said, to a large forested area surrounded by tall grasses and rolling hills. And this would impede searchers and obscure what they couldn't see. Well, you couldn't see very far. You no, know, you couldn't see nothing. Trees and hills and stuff, so it's not like you could look out across the field. But now, the school didn't have any security cameras, so the police had to base the search on what witnesses could conjure up at this late hour, what they could think of. Yeah. So, there you it's not good. No. To complicate matters even more was the knowledge that the school's campus that morning had essentially been open to the public because the science fair was going on and, you know, the school's doors had been unlocked for students and staff and parents and anybody else, public, for easy access. Which doesn't make sense to me. Yep. I mean, they're going to they gonna have it out there on their, their sign out front, I guess. Yeah. Science fair. Yeah, but still... Around here, you know, it ain't like that. If no. something's going on, you still got to go through the front. You still go through and check in. Yeah. Get you a sticker. Yeah. And get your picture made. And if you're not, even if they're not doing the picture sticker thing, you still got to go through the front door. You can't just go in any random door you want. Mm-mm. So, you know, one way in, one way out. That way you can keep up with who's in there and who leaves. But, mm-hmm. well, I guess outs are different because you just push them and go. But, yeah, it's kind of odd that all doors is what it said. And I guess they probably opened it up some for help people get their stuff in, depending on how big the project was. But it's still kind of odd to me that nobody was watching any doors. I know. Especially mm. something big like this going on. Yeah, hundreds of kids in there. Is it? And plus, they were going to have a talent show that day, too. Yeah, it's kind of weird, too. So, you know, it's going to be a big day of stuff going on. Yeah, why would they have it on the same day? That doesn't I don't make know. sense. I don't know. Because you think they would do that in the gym, too. And then they got all this other stuff in the gym. And you can't take it home because you brought your truck. And she said, they said no, so. Yeah, this is just weird, weird story, man. <laughs> yeah, okay. Now the Mul- got way in the weeds right there. <laughs> yeah. Now the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office were able to confirm that Kyron had last been seen around eight forty-five that morning, which his stepmom Terry had seen walking down the hallway. Yeah, last been, but the last one that saw him was her. Yes. Okay. And teachers and other school staff members had seen him minutes earlier. But this was the last known sighting and pretty much where the police had to base their search from. And a student would later claim to have seen Kyron closer to 9 o'clock. But the police would later backtrack on this claim, believing that, you know, the student was one of Kyron's friends and was probably just less than certain. Yeah. You know, these are. Yeah, I thought I saw him, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, these are second graders. graders. Yeah. You know, if you got some middle school kids that may have saw him, it might be different. Well, they got a little bit better memory, but, you know, I'm not putting second graders down, but... Yeah, I'm sure they're not time-stamping when they saw you. No. <laughs> there seemed to be some miscommunication going on because Terry had told Kyron's teachers that he had had a doctor's appointment. 
And the teachers believed that it was for that Friday, which was June the 4th. Because she had told him he had a doctor's appointment on Friday. Right. But she didn't, I don't think she made it clear which Friday. Which is stupid. Yeah. Why? Because it says, you know, it came out just supposedly a schedule for the following Friday, mm-hmm. June 11th. Yep. So why would you come in two weeks ahead and go, well, he's got an appointment on Friday? Yeah. I think she's doing this cover up. <clears throat> I do too. Because also, when we first started out, you said that this was the second to last Friday of the year, mm-hmm. which I'm assuming then that last Friday would be the last day of the school year. So at that point, why does it even matter if, you know, if we tell you you got an appointment or not, you probably aren't going to go anyway. Yeah. Second grade. It's not like you got a, a test or nothing that last day. It's probably mm-hmm. half a day anyway. Probably. Anyway, yeah, okay. Carry so, on. Yeah, I think she's just doing this to. Yeah, it's all a scam. Mix it up. <laughs> we hard on her ass today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, around 5.30 p.m., there was a text message. It was sent out to all parents in the area whose children attended schools in the Portland School District. And it was using the district's rapid broadcast message system, and the text message read, Kyron Horman did not arrive at home today and encouraged anyone with information about Kyron's whereabouts that day to contact authorities. And police did arrange interviews with staff, students, parents, uh, but the weekend would prove a pretty much major impediment because the sheriff's office began making arrangements for students and parents to show up that weekend to speak to them but most of the students had already gone home for the weekend. So yeah. it, it wasn't good for, you know, to be a weekend of Friday. Right. Now, the police, they did focus most of their efforts on a two-mile radius around Skyline Elementary, but would also dedicate resources to nearby Salvi Island. But now Salvi Island uh, was about six miles away from the school. And in particular, they focused on the area around Salvi Island Bridge, which crossed the Columbia River, but would never publicly state why they were so interested in this area following Kyron's disappearance. Right. Uh, but the investigators conducted interviews with all of Kyron's close friends and family that Saturday, trying to determine if any of them had seen Kyron after his last known sighting at school, you know, like going into his classroom. Yeah. And they even thought at one time that Kyron might have run away, as he did have a reputation for being somewhat you know aloof at times handful of occasions uh, he had walked out of class to go to the bathroom without asking permission right well i get that but i don't think in not on this day you know if he's because you wasn't he supposed to uh be in that talent show he too? was supposed to be in that talent show too so why the hell would he run away exactly not not on this day you know because he was excited to be at the science fair yeah this was his day yeah i mean really if you think about it i mean he had his csi t-shirt on yeah he was ready yeah that boy was happy yeah exactly now, searchers, they did continue to look for Kyron in the, you know, like we said, that heavily forested area around the school. And the families of more than 200 students showed up at Skyline that Sunday on June the 6th to help out. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Now, that same day, June the 6th, volunteers helped Kyron's family distribute flyers with information about his, you know, all his info on it, you know, missing second grader. And they included pictures of Kyron and displayed the you know, his physical attributes, you know, the, he was a seven-year-old and he was about three foot eight and weighed about 50 pounds, wore glasses, had blue eyes, uh, short brown hair. And the flyers also described the clothing that he'd been wearing when he disappeared, which is, like we said, a black CSI t-shirt, black cargo pants, 
and black and orange sketchers. Right. Yeah, they said it's such a community effort. It really came out as more than 1,500 people out searching, and people volunteered bringing food and water for all the volunteers. Said they brought so much they had to tell them to stop because they could never yeah. go through what they had brought. It was So everybody's really trying here. Yep. They Coming were, together, yeah. They were really looking for this kid. It was a big effort. Yep. For the first week after Kyra's disappearance, the family sort of – the family sort of stayed in the background. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, they didn't. No public appearance. No nothing. No. You know, they're assisting with searches and attempting to distribute flyers throughout the area. That's all they were doing. Yeah. But they refused to comment directly to the press. Which is weird. Yeah. And but they would release a brief statement to the media on June the 9th. This was on a Wednesday, uh, but would finally break their silence on June the 11th, which was a week. A week after Kyron had disappeared. So. I, it's just really weird to me. I mean, I'd have been all over the news, TV. Yeah, flipping the hell out. Top of a mountain. It's crazy. Yep. I just don't, I don't know. There's a whole lot of stuff not adds up here. Yeah, but during this uh, press conference, Kyron's two mothers, you know, Desiree, which is his birth mother. Right. You know, like I said, she lived in Medford, Oregon, and she was there in the Portland area to help out. And also was uh, Kyron's stepmom, Terry. Yeah. And she seemed to be pretty teary-eyed about the whole thing, too. It was kind of weird, you know, at this press conference because Tony Young, which is Kyron's stepdad, I guess, really came up, put out a heartfelt, you know, message, how they missed him and everything was all to hell. And it was just really, you know, good speech. Now, I know he was a police officer detective, so he's probably used to doing this kind of thing mm-hmm. and being in front of people and talking. So he probably took lead and said, I'll just go first mm-hmm. and make it easier on everybody else. But then said that Kane just kind of come up and thanked everybody for what they were doing. Yeah. We appreciate you. That's yeah. pretty much it, which is kind of weird. And then the two mothers didn't say nothing. They just kind of clutched each other crying. So, I think, I think Tony, too, he had, uh, you know, like I said, he had done this before. And he told them all that going into this that your life has changed. Yeah. This is going to be different. Yeah. You're going to be under scrutiny. They're going to be looking at you like crazy. Oh, yeah. Under a mic- microscope. Yep, definitely. All right. Now, on June the 15th, 2010, the, while the students throughout the Portland School District attended their final day of class, those students that knew Kyron continued to hold out hope that you know he would come home. They had been searching for him throughout the better part of two weeks with no end in sight, and they were not ready to call off the search efforts deal. They were wanting to continue on. Right. Well, let's see. What did they say? June 15th? Yep. So their last day wasn't going to be that Friday that I said – so yeah. they went, what's that going to be, on a Tuesday? I think they went into the next couple of days. Yeah. So then it would have been more relevant to let them know that he wasn't going to be there that Friday. But, okay. But still, I think it was just a a, a ruse on her part. Yeah, too. I do too. Because it was no effort to say which Friday, which is kind of odd that you would tell her two weeks ahead and just say a Friday. Yep. Okay. Now, there was a $25,000 reward that had been established for information leading to Kyron's whereabouts. And it had been doubled to 50000 by the month's end. Ooh. But nothing had been done to move any of this, and nothing had been done. Right. And the case had widespread public support, and it just seemed like no one knew what happened to Kyron Horman. It's, it's really strange, isn't it? It really yep. is. But at this point, Dale, investigators had already begun to narrow in on someone they believed knew more than they were telling and the last known person to have seen Kyron alive right. was his stepmom, Terry. Yeah, and I know we probably hating on her pretty bad. Nobody knows what's going on right now, but in, everything's pointing to her, to me. Yep. All these weird clues in the truck and 
the last one to see him, and it's just the 90-minute drive for, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of weird stuff going on here, so yep. we'll just have to see what happens. All right, we're going to end this with uh, this episode. This is the end of part one on Kyron Horman. Yep. Well, then uh, we'll pick up next time, and uh, it's fixing to get exciting. That's it. I think. All right, we want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.